The psalmist says, The might of your awesome deeds shall be proclaimed, O God, and I will declare your greatness. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. People outside the church love to talk about the church's failures and all of its faults. For instance, church organizations over the last month have been able to mobilize and respond to the tragedies in Texas and Florida before FEMA and before the Red Cross, but we never hear about that. Instead, when people outside the church talk about the church, we hear about a failure to keep track of money properly, or we hear about a scandal involving a clergy person, or we hear about a denomination's vote on something like homosexuality. Last week, I shared with you some stories about what it was like to do a wedding last week. I told you about how effusive some of the people there were with their praise for all of the words that I had offered. There is something strange and mysterious and wonderful about a wedding that just seems to bring forth honesty from people. Maybe it's the love that people feel when they're watching a new couple join in marriage. Maybe it's the fact that all these friends and family together, I think it really has most to do with all the free alcohol. (laughs) But what I didn't share with you last week I didn't share with you all of the negative comments I received. You know, I don't think you're going to have a job much longer, preacher. You know the church is dying, right? How can you support a system that is so archaic and so out of touch with reality? You know, you seem like a nice guy, but I think the church is far more responsible for evil in the world than for good. It's easy to pick on people outside of the church who are so harsh and judgmental with their language. It's easy to pick on those kind of people because they're not here. They don't know what God is up to. They don't know what the church is really like. And for as much as people outside the church like to bash the church for all that it has done and all that it's doing, people inside the church, they might be even worse. Don't tell my district superintendent or any of the other United Methodist churches about this, but I went to my first clergy meeting with the Alexandria district this week, and I was struck by how somber most of the pastors were. Throughout our time of gathering, there was far more negativity than there was positivity, and at some point, the whole meeting felt like an excuse for people like me, clergy, to get together to complain about people like you. And so I wonder, what's right with the church? A few years ago, I was given a copy of a sermon written and preached by a man named Zig Volskis. He actually, at one time, was the associate pastor at St. Paul's United Methodist Church just down the road. He preached it in 1987. It was the year before I was born. And in his sermon, Zig attempted to answer that question, what's right with the church? Zig, like me, was frustrated with all of the negativity surrounding the church, and instead he wanted to focus on the positive. He wanted to think about what's right with the church. And so in the sermon, Zig said that if you had asked him that question as a young boy, his response would have been, the church bells and the church music. 
Because a child, Zig loved nothing more than getting together in church on Sunday, hearing the bells above his head and hearing the choir sing their songs. Because music for Zig, it represented this energy and the depth of the worshiping community. The music of church, it reassured him and people like you and me that God is really in control, even when the world wants to claim the contrary. As an adult, Zig said that his answer would have changed. After serving the church for 30 years, his answer would be a little different. He believed the thing that was right about the church was that it endures. Empires will come and go. Church buildings can crumble to the ground. But the body of Christ always endures. Even with all its blindness and plundering for its inability to use its enormous resources properly, the church has always sought to minister to human needs in thousands of different ways. And for untold numbers of persons, the helping hand of the church has literally saved their lives. Zig ended his sermon with a call to those who love the church. He said, if you love the church, make more room for it. Bring to the church your best and your highest devotion. And for those of you who are unsure about the church, I promise you will not find perfection here, but come in anyway. Help us make it better. And then he said, Amen, and continued on with the service. Over the years, I've thought a lot about Zig's sermon, and in particular, our willingness to overemphasize the negative rather than addressing the positive. And I'll be the first to admit, the church, it does have problems. And not just here at Cokesbury and Woodbridge and not even the United Methodist Church, the church globally, it has problems. We could spend weeks talking about how we failed as a church. We could spend months talking about how we need to get better. But if that's all we ever did, we would fail to recognize everything that is right with the church. Because the psalmist, this passage that Michael read for us, it's all about how we need to focus on that which is right. I will extol the Lord. I will meditate on the goodness of God. I will declare the greatness of the everlasting Lord. Every generation will share with those who follow the splendor and the majesty of the great I Am. The psalm that he read for us, it's a hymn. It's something that we're all supposed to declare together in unison. And if you look at it, if you read it line by line, it's so over the top with its declarations of love, that it sounds kind of like a love letter I wrote in middle school to a girl I had a crush on, and I snuck it in her locker when she wasn't looking. The love that the psalmist has for God, it's not something that can remain hidden and bottled up in our hearts. There is a quality of God's grandeur that moves and lives and breathes and evokes a response from us, the people whom God loves. It pushes us. It moves us to bring forth our gladdest praise and to declare it from the rooftops. Of course, most of us are uncomfortable with wearing our faith on our sleeves. We don't know quite what to make of religious displays of affection. We can't even imagine standing up in church to talk about what God has done for us. I love asking people about sermons. I love meeting people, and I'll say, hey, do you remember what it was like to hear sermons when you were a kid? Do you, do you remember what it was like to be there? I love asking people, hey, have you ever heard a sermon on Psalm 145, the scripture that we had today? Have you ever heard these familiar words in church before? 
I love asking people about sermons because their answers are always so bad. <laughs> I can't even remember what I preached about last week. I have every sermon I've ever written online. I've preached over 250 sermons. They're all available for anyone to read. And a couple weeks ago, I was moving through some of the old ones, and I was reading whole paragraphs, and I thought, surely I've never said these words out loud before. <laughs> but of course I have. And that's the thing about sermons. Maybe they're not supposed to be memorable. I think a forgetful sermon is a good one. Because it's not about what I say. It's about what God is trying to say. A sermon is at its best when instead of you going home and remembering all the funny stories I told you, you remember the scripture. So the next time you opened your Bible and you read those verses, they would shine brighter in your life than they did before you heard the sermon. Anyway, I've been thinking about this a lot because the church I grew up in, the church that all of these ladies love to go to, I grew up at Aldersgate United Methodist Church in Alexandria, Virginia, and I was there almost every Sunday of my life. I was baptized in that church when I was 19 days old. I was confirmed around their altar rail when I was 12. I preached my very first sermon in that church. I did my very first wedding in that church. I got married in that church. And I can't remember a single sermon. <laughs> now, of course, there are some phrases, some uh, ideas, some stories that some of the old preachers, like M.J. Kim, used to preach that I still have bouncing around in my mind. But like a whole sermon, a whole theme, a whole worship service, I can't remember it at all. But what I do remember what I will remember for the rest of my life are the people who stood up in church to talk about how God had changed their lives. We used to call that testimony. But we don't really do that anymore. But I'll never forget when I was a young kid, probably four or five years old, they invited us all to come sit at the front and there was a man who was probably about my age now who was wearing a hospital gown. And he shared with us, all these children, that he had had cancer. And that when he was in the hospital, people he had never seen from his church, from Aldersgate, would go to the hospital for, to visit him. And he wanted to sit there and tell us, his four, five, and six-year-olds, how important it was for him to feel the love of the church. I will never forget that for the rest of my life. I remember running the sound system for a funeral where a, a woman, a wife, recently widowed, stood at the pulpit and wept and wept and thanked us for being there for her husband. Because our church had made a difference in his life. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the day there was that older gentleman from the church who'd been there forever and ever and ever, and he walked up in the middle of one of the hymns to the preacher up in the front. And he said, it's time for me to get baptized. And of course, all of us thought that he was already baptized as a child. He had been there every Sunday for all my life. And he shared with the congregation that he felt like everything in his life had disappeared, that he had lost everything that he realized the church had given him everything. He was so tall that our pastor had to go out into the hallway and get a step stool so that he could get tall enough to get the water onto the top of his head to baptize him. I will never, ever forget that. There are things in church that are meant to be forgotten, but there are some things that we must always remember. Because there is a profound power in being reminded again and again and again of what God is doing in our lives, doing in our church, and doing in the world. There is something good and right and true about sharing stories 
of what is right with the church. So that's exactly what we're going to do. And I promise it's going to be a little uncomfortable. I'm going to go first so you all kind of have an example. But after I go, I'm going to bring around the microphone. Because I want to hear what you think is right with the church. Because if we only focus on what's wrong, I promise we're never going to get it. We've got to think about what's right with the church. So two things of what I think is right with the church. And Sarah, I'm going to try really hard not to cry today. So I promise you now. Okay, keep it together. Sarah Walker, sitting over here to my left, uh, her late husband uh, was one of the most important men I've ever known in my life. Uh, his name was Keister, but no one called him Keister. Everyone called him Bud. And Bud Walker was an older man, and when I was probably 13 years old, I saw in the bulletin they needed somebody to run the sound system. And I said, Mom, hey, Mom, I think I should do that. And she said, hey, I don't think you should do that. <laughs> but I went up to Bud because he was a soundboard operator the next week, and I stood next to him for a month every Sunday. And he taught me what all the buttons meant. He taught me how to turn the volume up. And he taught me how when the time was come for people to sing the hymn to always mute the pastor because the pastors couldn't sing worth a lick and nobody wanted to hear them and all that kind of stuff. And it was just about a month, maybe six weeks, that I stood next to Bud, and he taught me how to use the sound system. And then he said, okay, now it's yours. And so every Sunday from that point forward, all the way through high school, I was responsible for the sound system. And he came and checked on me every single Sunday. Bud cared about me for no other reason than the fact that I was another person in the church. Every week he came up to me with a question about something that was going on in my life, something I was wrestling with. He knew what was going on in my life better than my parents did because he asked me about me. That's what's right with the church. When you become a grandparent or a parent to people you have no relation to other than the fact that they sit in a pew near you in church on Sunday. That's what I think is right with the church. The other thing that I think is right with the church is our prayer shawl team. I was so mad my second week that I was here. I was sitting in my office. I finally unpacked all my books, getting ready to get in the habits and the routine of being the pastor here. And all of a sudden, the front doors open, and all these ladies walked in, and not a one of them even stopped in my office to check on me. <laughs> they just walked down to the conference room to do Lord knows what. I heard Louise told me they were the prayer shawl team, and so I did what any smart pastor would do. I put my ear against the wall and listened to what they were talking about. Because <laughs> I know when you get a bunch of women together and you start knitting things like this, you're going to hear what's really going on in the church. You're going to hear what they really think you're some good gossip. <laughs> so I quietly leaned over against my wall. The walls of the church are pencil thin. Warning to everybody. And I started listening, and I listened, and I listened, and then I got so mad. Because they didn't gossip at all. They spent an hour and a half building each other up, complimenting each other on their needlework and on their crocheting, complimenting one another on their hair and their color. They prayed for each other. That's what's right with the church, my friends. A group of people who are willing to give of their time, of their energy, of their talents to do something not for themselves, but for complete strangers. You want to know what's right with the church? Look no further than this altar rail. Look no further than the person to your left or to your right. But as I said, I need to get a little uncomfortable too. So, think about this. What do you think is right with the church? 
I want to hear it. We all want to hear it. I've got a microphone. So anybody want to answer what you think is right for the church? And I am not afraid. Oh, Mary Wright, I mean. <laughs> I'm so afraid I'm going to have to call on somebody like a third grade teacher. Right, here it is. What do you think is right for the church? What I, what I know is right for the church, we're still here. Indeed. 2,000 years later, we're still here. The other thing is right for the church is the Virginia Conference has sent enough to elect a woman bishop for the second time. And the next thing is right for the church, my friends are here. My family's here. Indeed. All right, what else? I want to hear other What do you think is right for the church? I will call on people's names. Don't, don't tempt me. All right, family. What do you think is right for the church? What's right for the church is that we are good for each other. Through prayer or visiting. Um, what's right for the church is the UMW, Memphis Women. We don't go out, but we do a lot of service from within that reaches people outside this church. And the other thing that's right is the Memphis Women. They are here to aid anyone in the problem. That's good. Thanks. And then I'm saying you for last. Because okay. <laughs> I made a mistake in the last service. I'll keep going. I've been in the church almost a year now. And the thing I feel about the church, and I always come because I want to feel this, is it's all like it's my huge family. And I feel as though everyone in the church really cares about everybody else. And I think that's just worth its weight in gold is wonderful. I agree. I agree. Other things we think is right, right with the church. Emmett, you want to go? Mm -hmm. What I think is right about the church is uh, the love of Jesus Christ is in the heart of each one of you in here, whether you're a member or not. And that affects the way you live your life every day of the week. Monday through Saturday, back in the on Saturday. See, that's the thing about the church. There are so many things right with the church, and for some foolish reason, we always talk about what's wrong. I don't know why we do that. I've never been able to figure it out. Maybe it's part of our sinful nature. Maybe it's a weakness or a flaw we have. But we focus on the negative far too much. Because there are few things in this life, few and fleeting, that are more joyful than discovering how our lives are caught up in God's great story. Because as we share what's right with one another, as we share what we think is right with the church, we rediscover how actually connected we are to one another. And as we listen to what others think is right with the church, we rediscover the same faith that the psalmist had. The kind of faith that can say, I will praise your name every day, O oh Lord. So to those of you who already love the church, make more room for it. Bring to it your highest love and devotion. And for those of you who are unsure, I promise you will not find perfection here. But come in anyway and help us make it better. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen.